Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. It's great to be with you today. Last week I started, I kicked off a new series called Live Like Jesus and I'm continuing in part two today and I've called it Embracing the Lifestyle of a Disciple. I don't know about you, but it's felt that our society has felt incredibly stressed, particularly in the last two weeks. It's almost like we've kind of been in amber level and then suddenly it's gone into red level. And I've had lots of conversations with people this week, both inside of the church and outside of the church, where their stress levels and their level of uncertainty is incredibly high. And the reason that I'm excited about what we're teaching Live Like Jesus right now is because I feel like it speaks right into the context that we find ourselves in that there is so much uncertainty around us. You know, uncertainty in the workplace, uncertainty in relationships and family and how we're going to do this. And, you know, what's COVID going to look like over the next six months? And into the middle of it all, I believe that Jesus has words of life to speak to us. Now, last week I started the series by talking about Jesus's invitation to come and follow. Come and follow me. Come and be my disciples. Come and learn from me. And at the time of in the first century, Jesus would have been known as a rabbi or a teacher. And what would that have meant to the people of the time? Well, a rabbi would have had two things that would they would have been known for. The first is that they would have had a yoke. And that was really their set of teachings, that their way of understanding the complexity of the world. And they would say, come and follow me, come and learn from these things. And so that was a yoke that they had. And then secondly, that they would have called people to them, that they would have had apprentices who would have come and learned under them. And the process that that would happen by is to be with them. So to be with Jesus in that process of spending time with them and being so close to them, you would begin begin to be transformed and changed. And then as an outworking, you would do what they would do. And It all came together last week in looking at Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the key difference that Jesus had to the other teachers of the time was that he had an easy yoke. And I talked about the secret of the easy yoke. So Jesus is saying, If you take my teaching upon you, it's not something that's burdensome. It's not something that heavy. In fact, it's the opposite. It's light. It will bring you life to the full. Now, I want to continue this week by looking at embracing the lifestyle of of a disciple. So if last week we looked at, well, who is it that we're following? This week we're looking at how we're following. And so to put simply, to put it as simply as I can, We must lay down our life to gain his life, to embrace apprenticeship to Jesus, to live in the secret of the easy yoke requires us to understand, to live out two principles. The first one is this. It's not about adding to our life, but about laying down our life. And it's not about what we lose, 
but instead what we gain. Dallas Willard says the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. The students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's so true, isn't it? To become disciples, to look like him. I talked about last week, disciples who change communities, disciples who restore cities. That it's not just a vision that's big enough, Just it's just me and Jesus. That actually we should be changed and that transformation goes out from us. That it begins to change the communities and the places where we live, the neighbourhoods and the cities ultimately. Because we want the life of Jesus to blow in to restore our cities. Now, today I want to focus in on Mark 8, 34 to 37. It says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So I picked a pretty full on passage today. It's rich, it's challenging, it's beautiful and it's so countercultural. It stands against what our culture would say. Now, one of the great myths of, of discipleship that I see is that the invitation of Jesus to follow him demands nothing. This is a myth. Jesus, you know, so the thinking on this goes, well, Jesus has done it all on the on the cross. It's by grace, which I absolutely agree with. All we have to do is say yes. And once we've said our yes to Jesus in that moment, we can get on with living exactly the same way that we did before. All we've done is to add Jesus to our life. Same life plus Jesus. The invitation to come and receive salvation without come and receive a new life. Come and follow me. So let me just unpack this for a moment. Earlier in Mark's Gospel, Four fishermen stood by the sea in the first century when Jesus approached them and he said, he came up to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And with that, Jesus beckoned these men to leave behind their professions, possessions, dreams, ambition, friends, family, safety and security. He bid them to abandon everything. And he said, if anyone is going to follow me, they, de- they must deny themselves. And Jesus would say it repeatedly. In a world where everything revolves around the self, we're so self-focused. That's the teaching of our society. It's all about you. Protect yourself. Promote yourself. Preserve yourself. Entertain yourself. Comfort yourself. Take care of yourself. Jesus said, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Lay Lay down your life. And disciples like Peter, Andrew, James and John show us that the call to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to pray this prayer. It's a summons to lose our life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, I've heard many people during my time leading a church who will say, I follow the teachings of Jesus. He was a good man and wise and, and we can learn a great deal from him. In fact, I try to live much of my life like him. And what they really mean is the bits I like edited highlights but if we were to take this passage for today for instance I think this might be one that they just skip they're like oh it's a bit radical it's demanding a bit more 
Why? Because it, it's saying it demands everything. Jesus is saying you can't just keep your life and add me on the side. That's not the invitation that we've been given. That is a misunderstanding of the call of Jesus. I want you to think about baptism for a moment. I love baptism. Baptism where is where people declare their love for Jesus. And in doing so, often they're new to faith. They're put underwater and then they come up again. And it symbolises dying to the old way and coming into a new life, dying with Christ, being raised again, and our sins being washed away in water, purification. Now, pre-COVID, we used to have services and we'd invite friends and family to come to a service to watch this huge moment in somebody's life, this declaration that I'm going to live for somebody else. Nowadays, it feels more like baptism is going to happen in the rivers and seas and bathtubs and hot tubs, You, you know, We've, we've got to be creative because baptism is so important. But when friends and family and the church are, are invited to a baptism service, they're coming to see somebody declare, I'm going to live a new way. It's going to be a new life. For me, my baptism was an incredibly important moment in my life. It was during my gap year. And I'd had this coming back to the Lord, this profound encounter with Jesus to the point where he'd just spoken to me and said, you need to get baptised. Now, at this moment, I was kind of, it was a gap year, slightly between churches, wasn't, wasn't in firmly in one community in that moment. But the Lord spoke so strongly that I was like, I'm, I'm going to hire my old church and I'm going to invite everybody I know. Because I've got to tell the world, this is what I'm going to live for. This is who I am. This is what I'm standing on. And so I invited everybody in and three people came. You know, all my friends. Are, no, there were about just over 100 people came. My school friends, literally everybody I knew. And I had that moment to stand up in front of them and say, this is the way I'm going to spend the rest of my life living. And the funny thing about baptism is we kind of think it's just this one moment, isn't it? And it is when we get baptised and raised again. But I've I've just been dwelling on, on that moment and thinking it's almost a declaration every day of our lives, isn't it? Jesus, I'm going to live for you. When we start the day, Jesus, today is about you. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm taking up your new life. I'm going to stand in the new life that you've given me. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The call to follow starts with a call to die to yourself. And it's confrontational. And there's that moment that each one of us has to kind of assess the cost of it. It's like, do do I really want to lay down my life? It's a big deal. Do I want to say that somebody knows better than me that I'm going to put King Jesus on the throne of my life and I'm going to take King James out? Jesus is saying this call to follow demands your whole life. And I think there's a danger in the church that we can downplay the cost of discipleship, that we promote a gospel that's come to Jesus. He's going to satisfy your needs. He's going to forgive you your sins. And do you know what? That's it. That's kind of where it ends. And you'll get one day you'll get to go to eternity, but there's no more. But actually central to the call of Jesus is the call to follow and the call to lay down your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian struggling with Nazi rule, wrote one of the great Christian books of the 20th century. 
And in it, he wrote that the first call that every Christian experiences is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. And the theme of the book is summarised in one potent sentence. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. The cost of discipleship is great, but the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. And it's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all of his goods. And he talks about cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace um, is without discipleship, it's without Jesus, it's without the cross. And then costly grace is worth it all. And ultimately, what we come down to is it's a question of who's in charge? You or Jesus, the lordship of God means that we're no longer in charge. That's what we're laying down. He's in charge. To deny ourselves is to acknowledge that there is somebody who knows better about our lives than we do. King Jesus. When we become Christians, we're given a whole new identity. The old is gone. And the new has come and God implants his heart into our heart. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Then we go on for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now, the word life is not the, the word for physical life here. It's not saying you need to lose your life physically or because there's a good Greek word for that. That's the word bios from which we get the word biology. But instead, the word that he uses here that's translated life is the Greek word psyche, the word for self. He's talking about the psychological life. He's talking about the inner life. And what he's saying is deeply radical. He says your old way of having an identity, your old way of gaining a sense of self has to be over. You have to, in a sense, die to it. And through me, I will give you a whole new identity, a whole new true self. Now, the Western obsession is that the main thing that you're supposed to do in life to find yourself is to find yourself. And the way that you do it typically is you find your deepest desires and you fill them, fulfill them. You know, figure out what you really want to do and then just go after it, no matter what the cost is. And of course, there are huge problems with this. Firstly, people don't know what they want. And then secondly, sometimes they do know what they want, but those things are incredibly destructive for them. It's not good for them. And Jesus is saying, you're never going to find yourself by trying to find yourself. You're never going to find out who you really are by trying to find out who you really are. And, and what he's saying is he says the ordinary way you gain a, set, a sense of self in the world is by gaining things from the world. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? That's the normal way that we try and do it. The normal way that we try and get a self. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that if you get the whole world, the whole world cannot give you a stable sense of self. Because if you try to get an identity by gaining things in the world, whether it's family or career or whatever it is, if you build your identity on anything in this world, it is radically unstable. That is exactly what we're seeing right now. With the uncertainty that we're seeing, it's like you cannot build your life on this world. 
But instead, he says, if you lose yourself for me, in other words, instead of trying to gain a self by gaining things, build everything in your life on me, on who I am and what I've done. That is the starting point for identity. And then we'll build out from that. And then we can enjoy the things of this world. They're good things. There's so many wonderful gifts that God's given us, but they're not the founder. They're not the cornerstone of our identity. Jesus is the cornerstone. And then we build other things off. Now, there can be a fear when we start talking about the language of the cost of discipleship that people think, well, that sounds heavy. I'm just not sure I can do it. And this is where the second principle comes in. It's not about losing, but gaining. It's not about what we lose, but instead what we gain. Another myth of discipleship is that we concentrate so much on what we have to give up and dying to self that we don't understand what it is that we have to gain. And I just spent a moment thinking about everything that we gain by laying down our life and taking up his. And here's just some things I wrote down. We gain everything. We gain being unconditionally loved and accepted. We gain our true self as we're created to be, our God-given our identity. We gain God's protection. We gain eternal life. We gain the Holy Spirit living in us. We gain a new heart. We gain a new purpose. We gain King Jesus. We gain an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. We gain the embrace of the Father. We gain faith, hope and love. We gain being adopted as sons and daughters. We gain the peace of God. We gain the mind of Christ. And I could go on and on. So often we're concentrating on what we stand to lose instead of all that we gain because we follow Jesus. Jim Elliot, who died for his faith, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The Bible says that our deepest problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. We're looking at something and saying, oh, if only I had that, if only I had this, this is what I really need then everything's going to be okay. And Jesus says, no, flip it. You've got to die. And in dying, I will give you everything that you need. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're given a new life, a new way of living, a new identity. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our purpose has changed, our motivations and desires are realigned. We're completely and utterly changed. But we have to keep living out of this new identity. And I think that's a challenge for many of us when we're under stress. Do we almost revert to the old nature? It's like, oh, actually, I'm going to try and get these things. I'm going to gain these things and I'm going to try and secure everything. And in some senses, we are in a moment where we feel deeply out of control. But we know that Jesus is in control, that he holds it all in his hands. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. For me, Psalm 121 has just been this securing moment in the midst of these last couple of weeks. I just keep going round and round that psalm. I lift my eyes up. I lift my eyes up. I lift my eyes up. 
It's not about losing, it's about gaining. You know, the, the, the pearl of great price, the treasure in the field. The parable that Jesus tells about this treasure and this guy finds this treasure in a field and, he, and then he hides it and he goes and he buys this field. He sells everything that he has to buy this field because he knows the treasure in the field is, is worth infinitely more than anything else. And that's what it's like with Jesus. It's not about losing, it's about gaining. And I wanted to finish with an illustration from the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this boy called Eustace. And I think he's about 12 and everybody hates him and he hates everybody and he's selfish and he's mean and, and nobody can get along with him. And he finds himself on this boat, the Dawn Treader, taking this great voyage. And at one point, this boat pulls into an island and Eustace gets off for an explore and he finds this cave. And in this cave, he finds incredible riches. It's like the treasure that I just talked about. Rubies and emeralds and gold, more than you can ever imagine. And he says, I'm rich, I'm rich. And immediately, because he is who, he's, who he is, he basically says, well, now I'm going to be able to pay everybody back. I'm going to be rich in those people that have laughed on me and stepped on me. I'm going to laugh at them and I'm going to step on them. And he falls asleep on this cave. And what he doesn't know is that he's actually sleeping on a dragon's hoard. And as he sleeps, he falls asleep on the treasury of dragon. And because he falls asleep with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, when he wakes up, he's become a dragon. Big, horrible, ugly, terrible. And as time goes on, he realises there's no way out. He's stuck. He can't get back on the ship. He's going to be ugly. He's going to be, he's going to be stuck as this dragon. And he begins to lose hope. And then one day, the great lion Aslan shows up and he leads him to a clear pool of water. And Parafise says, undress and jump in. And suddenly Eustace realises, oh, undress, take off the dragon skin. So he begins to gnaw and claw the scales and he starts to realise, I can actually shed my skin, I can get rid of this. So he peels back the skin and to his great disillusionment, he suddenly realises that under that skin is another layer of skin. And so he does the same thing again, twice, three times. Until the point where it's like, oh, it's not working. And finally, the lion basically says, you're going to have to let me do it. And here are Eustace's words. He says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So the very first tear he made went so deep that I thought he'd got right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. And he continues, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself before the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying in the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others have been. And then he threw me into the pool and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw that I'd become a boy again. Aslan the lion, it's like a picture of the Lord. You know, so often we're trying to take the skin off ourselves, and what Jesus did on the cross is in that moment, we cannot save ourselves. But as Jesus hung on that cross and he said, I've paid the price. I'm going to take all your sin on me. I'm going to take all the burden and the shame and all of your mess. And I'm going to hang on the cross and I'm going to die for it. I'm going to take it all. And that's like the picture of this tear that we see. In order that we could be made new, goes into the water and then he comes out and he's a boy again. And what that means is it's like his true self who God had created 
him to be who God's created us to be. A new identity. The secret of the easy yoke that I talked about last week can only be experienced and lived in when we lay down our life to gain his life. It's not about adding to our life, but about laying down our life. It's not about what we lose, but instead what we gain. Just in finishing, for some of you, I don't believe that you've ever let the Lord take those scales off. That moment of salvation where we come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we truly lay down our life. And so I'm just going to pray if that's you and you're like, yeah, I want to come under the reign of King Jesus. Just pray along with me, Lord. I surrender. I want to lay down my life and I want to take up your life. Lord, I'm sorry for my mess and my shame and where I've got it wrong. And Lord, I want to say thank you that you died for it in order that I could live a new way. And Lord, I stand in that today and I say that you are Lord of my life. Amen. And if that's you, that is such a wonderful, amazing change in your life. And we'd love you to get in contact. So please just email us and let us know. And secondly, there are some of you who've been following Jesus for a long while but you're living in your old identity. You're living in your old nature and you just know it. You're just aware of it as everything's crowded in on you. You're like, oh, do you know what? I've become king again and my kingship is not great. Jesus, I need you to come and be king. And almost in this moment, I just want to kneel before you and I want to lay down again and say, come and be king. It's like that picture that we get baptised every day that we wake up and we live out of the resurrection power that we live, that we stand in our new nature. I just want to pray for you, Lord. All of us need you. We do not function well without you. We do not thrive without you. Show us how to live more like you, to be more like you, to live out the nature that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.